welcome to Mirac Now. My name is Miguel, he, him. I'm with a member of Mirac, and today we have... Um, Latifa, and I use she, her pronouns, or I also go by Tifa, whichever anybody decides to refer to me as today. Both. Hey y'all, I'm Brad, he, him pronouns, here today with Miguel and Tifa, looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, and uh, if you're wondering what is going on, why am I in my car, why am I at home, or at work listening to Mirac, um, we're here to tell you why. We're here to tell you who Mirac is, and we have a great person for that today. We have Brad here, who has been here in Mirac longer than I've been alive, I think. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to be asking a lot of Brad today. So um, yeah, Brad, what what is Mirac? What is its purpose? Yeah, thanks, Miguel. Um, Mirac is the Minnesota Immigrant Rights Action Committee. It started in 2006 when there was a really massive wave of protests in, from the immigrant community in response to a bill in the, in the federal Congress that would have done all kinds of crazy stuff against immigrants. It was called the Sensenbrenner Bill, proposed by a, a representative from Wisconsin. Um, so, yeah, Mirac started out of that wave of protests and... Basically, it's like the name says, it's an action committee. So it's an organization of all volunteers that work together to fight for immigrant rights. And we do that through like mass action. We organize a lot of protests and rallies and stuff like that. We also do some direct um, service kind of stuff, serving the people with like, well, I don't know if you want me to get into all the stuff we do. I, I won't do that now. We'll save that for later. But uh yeah, we do things in the community to directly help people who are facing the injustice of the, of the immigration system. And we do things that, uh, you know, so protests, direct work with people in, in need. And I'm forgetting something. But anyway, those are a lot of the things we do. Oh, and we try and change unjust laws that uh, affect immigrants and try and support things that uh, would make life easier for immigrants. So like, for example, the driver's license bill that passed in Minnesota this past year. Yeah, uh, that's a really good answer. I mean, I think Tifa, you're, you're new to Mirac, but mm-hmm. do you, what, what do you think we do? Yeah. Um, one, it's always really cool to see Brad talk about Mirac and like all the history, because I feel like you're the historian of Mirac unsaid, or maybe it is said, um, just kind of keep track of everything. And um, yeah, with Mirac, I think even I joined Mirac probably a year ago around this time. Um, and even in the last year, it's been a lot of like DACA work or driver's license for all that just passed. And now kind of going into um Minnesota being more inclusive in a sense or trying to be more inclusive and kind of playing to the whole trifecta in um, with our government right now with um, the Medicare for all, well not Medicare for all, but for um, undocumented immigrants being able to have health insurance now with the state and kind of opening into that and seeing now with all these laws passing, now you have the misinformation that kind of starts with trying to help immigrants and all this stuff and people wanting to take advantage. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mirac is trying to do the work in that and with the community and trying to educate others. Um, English classes is really big, which I know we'll probably touch on a little bit later. Um, we did this 12 person just for Mirac alone delegation a couple months back um, is with the Legalization for All Network. So, I mean, we've done a lot in the last year already. And I mean, it's only 
May. So going into June. So yeah, it's been a lot of um, fun getting to learn all of the things um, and knowing that there is work that the community can do. And even those who don't necessarily feel like they have the time to do, but there's a lot of ways that you can give back from any perspective. So I think that's kind of what I've learned a lot in the last year with Mirac. Yeah. Another great answer. It's good to see like what Brad just said Mirac does that a new member has been like, yeah, we do all of that. It's a lot. And it's crazy because I would agree. We're still, you guys started a great group a long time ago and we're still kind of keeping that vibe going. And uh, one unique thing about Mirac that I could say about is uh, we really try and, and as hard as it is, we really try to focus on all immigrants, not just the Latino diaspora. As much as it is a, a very important, there's a bigger population sometimes and the needs are needed there, we really try to focus on all immigrants. And I think that's something that I find really special about Mirac. But um, yeah, and that, and that kind of leads into like why we started a podcast. Cause, and, you know, my take on, you know, I went to Mirac is like, I think we could really use it as a tool on how to have one conversations that we have within Mirac about what immigrant rights means but also to create awareness about what that means to, um, at least for me. And it was really important because people are listening to podcasts against like the new radio. Maybe it's getting a little bit too much these days, but <laughs> I think it's a really important tool. It's in a really easy way to get involved and at least educate yourself. Like I've been in Mirac for three years and I still ask a lot of questions and I'm still like, why didn't you already know that? I'm like, well, I, I asked now. So we're here to, there's no dumb questions. We're here to, really educate ourselves and our community on that and i think it's going to be a powerful podcast for that um brad what do you what do you think about the podcast why do you think it's necessary to have this tool yeah thanks miguel i think it's something that i've wanted to see us do for a long time and it's something we've talked about doing for a long time so props to miguel for uh helping get it to fruition where it actually exists and i think it's important because while Mirac is an action committee, it, you know, when you do an action, it's the people who happen to be there see that action, but you want the action to, but the point of doing action is education, you know, to educate people and bring about change. And that is something that a podcast can be super helpful with to amplify the message of what we're doing with our actions and get them to a, a broader audience. So it's that sort of back and forth between education and action where we are always doing actions but we have to do education so that people know why we're doing those actions nice yeah definitely agree tifa yeah i would i agree with all of that i think one i mean the government is not set up for the average person to understand what's going on i think um, a few months back we had a member who explained how a bill is passed and how it goes to senate and how it goes to house and how that whole process works and if you're looking from the outside, especially if there's a language barrier because you're an immigrant or um, you're just you just haven't grown up in the U.S. I mean, even growing up in the U.S. and going through the public school system, you watch School of Rock and you kind of maybe <laughs> remember things here and there. But it's not it's not something that sticks with you until you're actually trying to follow a bill that's going to be passed. Um, so I think having a place to break that down for people and educate with a podcast or even just like Brad said, if you're at an event and you're in an action, it's it's easy to take the material and then look at it. And then you get in your car and you drive away and you're like, OK, well, 
that sucks, but I don't really know what else I can do. Um, and from an quote unquote everyday perspective, I mean, it's tough. You're around a batch of activists all the time and everybody's always trying to do something. But I think everyone can be an activist and in your own way, in your own community and kind of build that. And if it's listening to a podcast and knowing, like having conversations with people, be like, yeah, I listened to this last week. I mean, how often do we sit in a meeting or, hey, I listened to a podcast last week and I heard this. What do you think about that? <laughs> it happens all the time now. Like you said, it's kind of replacing the radio. I don't know how to work the radio in my car. Other than Bluetooth, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's kind of like a probably like a millennial thing. And that's OK. Um, but yeah, I hope that this podcast gives that to people and just having a point of contact to be educated on the things that Mirac is doing consistently and all the time. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to just, if it's OK, pick up on one thing that you talked about at the beginning there, which is that the system isn't really set up for everyday people to understand it or influence it or <laughs> use it to the benefit of everyday people. And I think that is, so I, I mentioned before, like action and education, but also analysis, I think is really important to one thing we have like a new member orientation that we do with new people in Mirac. And one thing we try to talk about there is that, you know, we say the, the, the system of the immigration system and the whole criminal justice system is inherently and historically has always been white supremacist and set up to basically keep like the rich in power and keep everyone else divided and, and um, struggling. And so it's not that the system isn't working. We just need to tweak it. It's actually working how it was supposed to work. And so this is a place I think where instead of just saying that we can talk about it more deeply too. Yeah. And, and I, and that's what I, the, the, the inception of the idea of the podcast was like, man, you guys have been teaching me so much. My brain hurts sometimes. And sometimes just like we hear really bad news and we comfort each other and we say we can do something. And I think if we have those conversations for people to hear it, during like this time when there's so many laws being brought up against immigrants and, and other communities, we can say, well, let's break this down. How is it making you feel? Mm-hmm. And then how do we maybe make it a little better if uh, by acting on it or speaking about it or just drawing comfort in the fact that this is wrong or this would be this way and it's hurting people, what can we do? So, yeah, I hope people really dig into that and they can join us every week. We're going to plan on doing, like, shorter episodes to start and really focusing on, like, things like that um, that we can break down here and great answers from Brad and Tifa here. And, yeah, thank you. So this is a segment that's probably going to pop up every week because every week we seem to have some new media information or some new bill or some new form that really marginalizes immigrants in the U.S. and sometimes even in other places around the world. Um, But it's been a really rough week, honestly, because we have uh, Governor DeSantis from Florida that passed a bill, a bill 1718, to combat dangerous effects of illegal immigration caused by the federal government reckless border policies. Uh, this legislation makes using e-verify mandatory for any employer with 25 or more employees imposes enforceable penalties for those employing illegal aliens. Their language, not mine. I, I really despise the aliens part, but 
I could so, read all of this, but we have Brad and Tifa to talk about it, and we're really here just to break it down and, and say why this affects not only just immigrants in Florida, but all immigrants and ever, communities across America and why we should care, really. Um, start with you, Brad. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's definitely jarring that the state of Florida, which has so many immigrants in it, has passed this uh, law, which they themselves are calling the most extreme anti-immigrant bill in the country. It's really messed up. It's has a lot of similarities to the thing that I mentioned before on the national level, the Sensenbrenner bill that they tried to pass in 2006 that led to huge mass protests around the country, that um, it really does a lot of those same things. And we can go through point by point what's messed up about each of the points that it's doing. And obviously, this is a huge deal for people who live in Florida who are immigrants or are in mixed status families or honestly any person who is Latino or, or brown because you're immediately going to be a suspect in the eyes of police. And so it will not just affect immigrants. It's going to affect the oppression of all people who um, especially who are not white. And I said brown, but also black. There's a lot of Haitian immigrants in Florida as well and people of other nationalities. Um, and so it affects people in Florida, of course, but it some of the particulars in it also affect people from other states because it, one of the planks is if you have, like, let's say you live in Minnesota and you're undocumented and you're able to get a driver's license in Minnesota because Minnesota law allows that. If you drive into Florida with that license, it's no. They've just determined that's no longer a valid license, and you can still be, uh, you know, imprisoned and potentially put into deportation proceedings for driving there, even though you have a valid license in a state in the U.S. It also obviously affects nationally because Ron DeSantis this week also announced he's running for president and he's trying to bring all this stuff national, and wow. so it's uh, like a. a petri dish or like a test case that he's trying to do there and then bring it everywhere it's almost like he's flaunting like look at what i can do for the rest of the country it's crazy because i didn't think that there was going to be a worse slogan than make america great again with trump but then you have like let's bring florida to america and i'm like what a terror like who wants florida anywhere else than florida like i just it, i cringe at the idea of just being like let's bring florida to the entire u.s like that's just gross on so many levels for so many different reasons <laughs> Yeah, it's like whether you're talking about Disney World or whether you're talking about Florida alligators man. and Florida man. Like, yeah, Florida geez. man. And then I think of like particularly sweaty uh, ability to just get disgusting anywhere in Florida. Um, mm. but, uh, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing E-Verify. Mm -hmm. And to me, I work for a small uh, business. And if you don't use E-Verify, they're saying that you get fined $1,000. A day. A day. Holy smokes, that's substantial for small businesses. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Tifa? I think, even to touch on Brad, like with this whole article and like this this law that's coming to effect, first of all, the idea of like illegal aliens is always still like really weird to me. Like what, I know what they mean by alien, but I feel like this, the verbiage that they choose to use is always trying to be fear mongering. And like Brad said, like there are a lot of different 
immigrant types in Florida. I mean, you have I know people who've moved from Southeast Asia who moved to Florida because it does remind them of their home and like that climate and people want to retire and Florida for whatever reason. I'm sure it's tax breaks or something. It's along with that. But like you said, the Haitian immigrants, you have the Latino community that's down there and that's really heavy. And yeah, with E-Verify specifically, it's you're attacking these small businesses who cannot that unfortunately but fortunately can provide employment to people who are willing to work and sometimes for lower wages which is already bad enough but then you're having to implement this e-verify system which is also just going to be a greater cost if they're not using it and they're being fined and they have to verify like everybody's status is just up for talk all the time and i think brady even said even before recording people are were at times brought into different like into a room and being like well Mm-hmm. This is it. We've caught you. Now yeah. You're going into like this black market working situation and being paid on the table and just more dangerous. You get into wage issues, wage theft and all these other laws that people will be breaking. But these large corporations can still afford to. I mean, I know a lot of people are what boycotting a lot of Florida orange juice companies right now. Um, and just doing it with that. I mean, unfortunately immigrants are needed for this country to continue and it's it's disgusting to see how they're just kind of being taken advantage of but also facing the deportation or the implications of this new law and for folks that don't know like e-verify basically it's a national database that employers when you're hiring someone you, you know you have to enter their ID information that they give you their social security number into most particularly. And then it'll, this database, which has a, been really problematic. It has a lot of mistakes and false positives and, and incorrect negatives. Like there's tons of documentation of how it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do, but requiring employers to use it, then, you know, you end up with, and this really started to get rolled out from what I remember under the Obama administration, with e-verify and they were just quote-unquote encouraging employers to use it not requiring and this florida law requires employers to use it and basically yeah when you hire someone normally they they give you a social security card and if you run a restaurant or or like a farm or something you're not an expert on like document identification if something is real or not um, if they present you something, you you hire them, you know. You um, and I look at it and I'm like, looks good to me. And Let's... yeah, what this what this does is it criminalizes people for um, hiring someone into a job that you know may may be presenting a document that's real or may not. Anyway, the the reality is, whole industries in this country live on immigrant labor. It's just it's not even a, a well kept secret. It's just known. You know, from I would say the all whole, industries, even. yeah, all all industries, especially if you think of food. You know, from the harvesting of food, the planting and harvesting of food. Who's doing that work in Florida? The the orange trees, like those are immigrants doing that work. Go look in the in in any restaurant in the kitchen. You know, who is making that food? Look at you know, et cetera. From like from farm to table, you know, the whole mm-hmm. food industry is immigrant labor, and. The, the rich in this country have gotten rich from that and, and want to keep that. And so I would say that the goal of this, I don't think, is even to get rid of all immigrant workers. It's just to criminalize them more and shut them up so that they'll continue to work for and work for even lower wages or like Tipo was talking about, 
go into like informal sectors of the economy where you're paid under the table cash and then there's tons of wage theft and then people just let go, get rid of all labor rights. So this is really an attack on immigrant workers, but it's it's an attack on labor rights for everybody because it essentially drags down the minimum wage to below the, you know, the legal minimum wage. Etc. And then, sorry, I'm talking a long time, but one last thing I would say is when it started under the Obama administration, they started doing these I-9 audits is what they were called, where the federal government would get in touch with a company and, and audit them to look at the I-9, which is your like eligibility to be employed legally in this country, their I-9 information. And then there would be mass firings if that company couldn't prove that all the, the people on the list that the government gives them are legally eligible to work in this country. And so it's like a silent raid, whereas but under the Bush administration and before – they would pull up to like a company and like all these, you know, heavily militarized police would get out and everyone would like scurry away. You used to see it in movies, mm-hmm. you know, but um, they moved away from that to these silent raids. And that's really what we're talking about is chasing immigrant workers out of one place and to another and um, et cetera. Yeah. And, and you're not talking too much. This is exactly what people need to hear. Like, I didn't know that I work for a small business and I employ people. And like, I didn't know that. And to know that small restaurants, like, you know, I work for in Florida will face those penalties. And the thing is that I noticed, I've noticed a huge influx of workers looking for work. And I've been talking about it within America. Like there's been like 20 people in like two weeks. Hmm. It's insane. And they're always alluding to like, I will work for anything. And as long as you want, and I'm like, no, you shouldn't. And I was like, I don't have any more positions and please don't think that you're valuable here don't and it really shows a dilution of like humanity when you have people thinking that that's how they should be treated because you have the e-verify now you have all of these things oppressing them in other states they're, they're coming from you know it's kind of a little bit of a, a a little silver lining that minnesota has been passing legislation that embraces in, in immigrants there's been an influx Already, I think I've seen a lot more out-of-state license plates in the last couple months um, with us passing driver's license for all and now health care for undocumented immigrants. And I think, I mean, we're just hitting the first bullet point and immediately I think (laughs) of small businesses because it is like those are the people who can't afford to take the hit. They can't afford a thousand dollars a day. But you have all these major corporations. And I mean, I know Disney World is kind of in a weird limbo right now in florida with the whole don't say gay and like that's a whole different thing um but with that like disney world can afford to take a thousand dollars a day but because they will not stop employing immigrants because these mega corporations can't afford to pay all these people all these crazy wages and all their ceos and all the people on the boards but they're also still going to make that minimum wage and they will still take the hit for the undocumented and they, and immigrants they can, they can take the hit because they can fire that many people and yeah care and that's that's what's crazy is that they're just expendable people to them, and it, it's to me. But yeah, we've only and, and those, like and those big corporations are a lot less likely to get targeted with this because they have political they're working power. With them. You know, and <laughs> yeah. they, they yeah. can fund or not fund a politician's campaign. You know, and so they're not going to get hit. It's going to be the small businesses and the mm-hmm. medium sized businesses. They can pull and they're shut down. Yeah. Yep. And then you just have all these mega corporations. I mean, you see it with like Walmart going into small uh, business areas into small towns. You see it all the time, and it's just mm-hmm. capitalism, right? Right. And uh, and that, that kind of covered the f- first two points we're seeing here, which is like the E-Verify and an employer being penalized as well. But we're also looking at 
And uh, another point is enhancing penalties to human smuggling, including making knowingly transporting five or more illegal aliens or a single illegal alien minor uh, a second degree felony subject to 10,000 fine and up to 15 years in prison. And to me, the wording on this is most grotesque, but also like they're trying to criminalize helping people. That's exactly you, you didn't say helping anybody you didn't hear any positive words in there they're trying to criminalize you giving somebody a ride they're trying to criminalize you seeing someone and being like hey you need a hand and here's a free meal here's some new clothes and as someone who's seen people do that like find someone who's like new to the city you can tell if you've ever been in that situation you can tell and if you can't you got to work on that uh, compassion a little bit but i think it goes even beyond that i mean i think of it even just being like hey maybe a couple moms on a basketball team are taking a ride to a tournament and now all of a sudden you got like eight people in a car it's you and the mom and the other kids and your kids and all of a sudden you get pulled over and they're gonna do a check and then you find out the mom maybe you've been hanging out with for the last 10 years is undocumented and so are her kids then what it's just it's it's simple as that and that's unfortunately i think with florida it's been with a lot of the time with routine traffic stops and it's it really does break it down to just you're living your normal everyday life and now you're like do i need to share my status with the people who i'm with all the time because i don't want to put them at risk it's just fear-mongering everyone involved yeah and i mean look at the language giving a single I hate these words too, like like you said before, a single illegal alien minor uh, a ride. Yeah, it could be give it going to a game. It could be like giving your family member's kid a ride to school uh -huh. or to a doctor's appointment. That suddenly makes you guilty of a felony up to 15 years in prison. What does that mean for Uber drivers, Uber and Lyft drivers? Like, exactly. what does that look a like? A 17-year-old who's undocumented gets a, a Lyft. Yeah, that driver is then subject to up to 15 years in prison absolutely mm -hmm. it's a and then that creates what in culture of fear-mongering and then all of a sudden you start to look at anyone who looks not white and you start to even which is dumb because they're there too yeah <laughs> let's be make, honest you make you make new new um i'm sorry uh new stereotypes like oh we don't pick up this type of brown person we don't pick up this type of looking person for rides we don't do this because of all these laws. So it really creates a culture of anti-immigration and um, it's it's really dangerous. It can go even further and it can start to see more hate crimes, really. It, it's really saddening. And it, like, it reminds me of, and I mentioned this before we were on the air, the, the, the law that Arizona passed about 15 years ago, SB 1070, which at that time was the most extreme anti-immigrant law. It's like all these states are in the competition to see who can be the worst human beings on the planet. And they're all, they keep one-upping each other. But the Arizona passed that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And then, like, you, it, it's almost, it, it's, feels like they're on the offensive because they're doing this because they feel strong and they're going to do all these things but in fact it's coming from a position of weakness because then within 10 years that law was reversed and now like republicans don't automatically win in arizona anymore and similar you can look at california a generation before that that in the 90s passed proposition 187 which at that time was the most extreme anti-immigrant bill ever and it was a republican governor in california 
and then within a generation, California's completely reversed to, you know, become a much more progressive and welcoming state for immigrants. And a lot of it was because of the effect of that law. So many young Latino and other immigrant people and children, their children got involved in politics and are now actually in leading positions in the government and mm -hmm. in, you know, organizing and have just transformed the state. So, you know, I, I think it's easy to see like this and be hopeless or think like there's no way to come back from this. But I think if we look at history, we can see that this is actually an, uh, you know, you might say it's an overreach and they're going to suffer for it. It's going to be rough in the, in the intervening period, but I think it, you know, we can organize, we have to organize to overcome it. No, for sure. I think it only shows, especially with overturning in Arizona and California and changing and kind of flipping the political views over there. It's, People realize that all these anti-immigration bills and anti-immigrant bills are reductive to society because, I mean, as we've said, like this country is known to be built on like black and brown immigrant labor time and time again. And they always try to redirect it to make it seem like, well, we could do it without it. And people are like, oh, they're stealing jobs and all these things. But it's like all these all these jobs and all of everything that's going on are things that, quote unquote, U.S. citizens or normal people are here legally, whatever the case, don't want to do anyway. It's not going to take away your software development job. It's not going to take away you becoming a doctor. Like, that's not what's going on. So it's, I think, like you said, it's it's hard to not be hopeless about it. But I think in a couple of years time, especially with constant force and push from people, that they'll realize that they can't, they can't operate this way. You're going to continue to need immigrants as you always have. Yeah, I, I agree with that, like, uh, it's already helping me. Like I already learned a lot from this conversation myself. Like I often do feel hopeless with what's going on in the U.S., but then I take that we express it with amongst each other, and then we say, well, "What can we do?" And we always find an answer. You know, mm -hmm. it's expressing. And sometimes we're like, "Well, we can do another protest and things like that," and we do it, and we're like, "Well, it's just another protest." But then we meet someone there who really just needed to hear that someone cared and if it's even one person i'm like i'll take a street for that one person i'll do yep. I'll, we'll put erica on the microphone for an hour <laughs> we'll 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 plan and and get people together and plan for weeks or even just days for emergency ones and if you're reading and you're seeing all this know that like uh there is a history to it you we learn from history and we can create power and action behind it because this is like i agree i thought it was from a place of like strength like oh man they're just gathering their troops and doing all this but it does seem like a place of weakness because it's it, they want it to build up as a something that's strong and real and really it's just based on fear and, and fear and the lack of knowledge is it's all they're they're counting on so. and it's tough because they're in the meantime until things are overturned there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people throughout the country and through in florida that are going to suffer and are going to continue to live in fear and even more fear with everything and that's what it, it does suck and it's it's going to be tough to try to figure out how to help those people in the meantime until we can fully push for like a flip or to help help them out to have different laws in place so it's not to say like oh well yeah we can feel hopeless and things are obviously going to change eventually but it's still going to affect a lot of people in the meantime whether they're going to another state or i mean you think about it just to uproot uproot your entire family I'm like we just can't 
live here anymore. It's just not safe. So I think it is going to take a major effect on a lot of people. And that's another thing that brings to mind that Mirac has always been an organization that works together with other groups focused on other social justice issues. Mm-hmm. And we look at what's happening in Florida and the governor and the legislature there, they're not just only focusing on immigrants. They're also doing these anti-trans laws, anti the don't say gay stuff. They're doing anti-union laws. They're doing laws, you know, you name it. And so we... We oppose all of those things, right, and fight right. for the rights of all those people, and they're trying to ban, like, quote-unquote, ethnic studies, black studies, or Latino, you know, Chicano studies. It's it's outrageous, but similarly, Arizona tried to do the same thing, and then it, it got overturned, you know, a decade later. But uh, they're serious about this in Florida, and they really want to crack down hard, so people may have heard about this case of the Tampa Five that's five student activists at University of South Florida that were just protesting to, like— save diversity at their college and the police just like beat the crap out of them and now they're being charged with all these felonies you know because they were trying to like support like diversity at their college it's just outrageous and that's the kind of stuff like tifa was saying that that's going to be happening more i think in the coming years and we have to be there with them yeah and and, uh that's why you can't you can't look away from that like if you're if you don't know about any of these struggles you're probably spending too much time buying things in on on Amazon. Like you gotta look at your neighbor. You just gotta. That's what I do. I tell people like, "Hey, listen to this," or like, "Here's this clear point." And like, someone in your neighborhood is affected by this. And all you have to do is maybe just listen. Maybe just share that sentiment that, you know, I did hear about this. Are you being affected? And I think that's like this conversation we had. I've already learned something. But um, and that leads us to our next point. What can we do? We feel we feel that sometimes that we're in the struggle but what can we do and we do have a lot of things in a lot of places where people can come together and educate each other and that's another thing that this podcast will do is it'll inform where you can take action where you can come together and at least listen to each other help each other um because we are going to see an influx you know as minnesota starts to you know, because of all of these great people now standing up and and putting all these senators and legislators in their place and saying, hey, we voted you in, let's do it. And they're doing it and we're making all these kind of sanctuary bills happen now. We're going to see an influx of people. So you want to know more, um, you can come to these events and we're, we can talk about these a little bit. We directly correlated to this bill and this action we're doing, it's called... I don't know if we have a name for it. Do we have a name for it? It's just like the Father's Day protest so far. Yeah, a Father's Day protest to stop separating, calling for to, for them to stop separating families, whether it's at the border through militarization or in states like Florida and Texas with these laws and just through the deportation machine all over the country. So Father's Day protest for immigrant rights to stop separating families. Yeah, I feel like immigrants have been a really heavy target in the last couple of weeks. Um like you said, Brad, like at the border or even with like um, mishandlings and mistreatments and killings of people within like ICE um, and yeah, seeing all that. There was a case with the eight-year-old. Eight-year-old mm-hmm. I mean, there was a fire a couple months, months ago now. Months right. ago. So, I mean, I think there's been a lot of attack on the immigrant community. And it's also within the, was it National Week of Protests, June 11th through the 18th? Right. Kind of throughout the country, so and, I think there's gonna be a lot of things. Who is that again? The 
who's doing that? Is that Legalization for All? So, yeah, Legalization for All is doing a national week of protests throughout the country. Um, so, I mean, there, I'm sure not just Minneapolis and the Twin Cities, but all over the country, people are, will be fighting and advocating for immigrant rights and standing in solidarity because everyone really needs it right now. And I think, like you said, Brad, Florida is a very special case with the anti-trans, don't say gay, the obviously the article we kind of just briefly discussed with anti-immigrant and all of those are intertwined. There's it's a lot of intersectionality with that. There's a lot of people who fit two or three different things that they're attacking and are under a very, very, very small microscope of being, like you said, kind of mentioned hate crimed or at risk for just being abused, assaulted, whatever the case um, in the next few weeks. So it's tough. And again, with like the Tempa five too. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. And these protests, we focus them on education. So if you're learning stuff like I am even here today, uh, you'll probably learn more there. And also it's just like something that I learned from like Torch Floyd and BLM, especially with the three year anniversaries is that, Sometimes just being with the community that's being attacked creates a power and a solidarity that's really helpful. Because so many times when I go to different rallies or protests, someone says, I didn't think this many people cared. And to have that little moment of peace, solidarity, education, and like standing up and saying, you are not alone. That's why I keep going to these protests. And that's why it matters. And that builds up. That builds up into powerful uh movements that can last years months weeks and just continue and then finally sometimes even 20 years with the licenses for all you get a result but you just gotta keep going and i think it's important to say too especially with the work that we do with mirac is that it's really important for people who have the privilege to be able to show up to show up because there are the people who are undocumented or maybe at risk or might can't drive they don't have a driver's license obviously until i mean it's not until like october i believe is when things will kind of be implemented but they can't always show up because they're already at risk i mean at a protest you always kind of run the risk of police coming through and maybe just deciding that day like yeah we're just gonna arrest a bunch of people and then those people are up for whatever proceedings would happen with them so i think it's really important for people to know that you need to show up for the immigrant community because they can't always show up for themselves not because they don't care but because they just don't have the ability to they don't have the privilege to yeah they're probably working a lot of the time they also that they're they're being marginalized as we speak by the by these forces and so if they see others coming they'll they'll join a lot of the times they'll join in the neighborhoods when we march and that when earlier you spoke about intersectionality with Florida and those laws and all those things, and that's another upcoming event to look out for is taking back pride. I mean, can you imagine being someone who is an undocumented immigrant and also part of the LGBTQ queer space community there in Florida? What what that would those astounding effects that are they're having right now, and that's something that Mirac does really well is not only like saying in our fight but also join others and say hey this if we're standing for all immigrants we need all of them and that's even with uh in queer spaces and uh yeah we we have taken back pride coming up what when is that tifa um and this is the last weekend in june so it'll be that saturday um yeah the last weekend in june that saturday we'll be protesting and kind of leading a march um interrupting the yeah, parade. What's the difference between taking back pride and 
uh, and TC Pride. So Twin Cities Pride is put on by the city. It is put on by a slew of major corporations. As we know, Minneapolis is home to a lot of Fortune 500 companies. You got Wells Fargo with their massive floats. You got Target. You have all these people who are there for the month and never to be found again until next year. So um, so with Taking Back Pride, um, as, well, maybe not everybody knows, Pride was a riot. Pride was a riot at the Stonewall Inn in New York, where Marsha P. Johnson and others um, kind of rallied together after they were tired of being harassed by the police for days, weeks, I mean, on a regular basis being raided and mistreated by the police. So... Pride was a riot. It's going to continue to be a riot. It is very anti-police from the beginning and its origins. Um, Twin Cities Pride's employed MPD officers to be there and to, quote unquote, keep people safe. Uh, as we've seen, especially in the activist space, is that community keeps itself safe and we are more than able to take care of ourselves a lot of the time. Um, so Taking Back Pride is led by black and brown LGBTQ voices and it's not to make people money, to give profits to these major corporations who, like I said, don't show up the other 11 months out of the year and don't care for the actual LGBTQ community. The one slogan that I saw last year at Taking Back Pride was like, no cops, corporations, or what was the other? It was three C's. No cops, um, corporations, and what was it? It might even be it this year, too, honestly. Yeah, but basically taking back pride to its roots, like Tifa was talking about, that it was basically people standing up against their oppression and not just, yeah, a big festival with corporations that don't really care about people. As we can see with what Target's been doing, they, yeah. they try to come off as like very queer friendly, but then with a little bit of protest, even the littlest bit of protest, they start pulling merchandise off the shelves. And yeah, and plus they fund some of the most anti-gay politicians that run for office in Minnesota consistently. And that's Target from Minnesota Yeah, for everybody else. <laughs> they, they, that's headquarters here. That's a lot of people are employed here by Target. Mm -hmm. and, and my thing is just like they tried to TC uh, Pride has always tried to listen and do stuff in there until you know Taking back pride was like, well, they act like they like to listen. Yeah, they like to listen. And then taking back pride is like, get rid of the cops. And they're like, okay. And then the cops are like, what about our gay cops? And they're like, they're still the oppressors. Like, it doesn't matter. It's very much intersectionality with like, you can still be there. Yeah. You can take off the, you can take off the uniform and still be going to take it back pride. Like, that's okay. Yeah. Right. And um, my thing is like, we just had one of the most monumental tragedies with the murder of George Floyd here. And you can't read the room. You can't... Who is this for? I mean, they can. They showed up to his memorial, I mean, this past week. So they, they don't know how to read well, the room. Well, not even uh, Minneapolis police. TC Pride can't read the room and say, maybe we don't need police at this march right after the, you know, the murder of George Floyd. And then, but really that speaks to why this isn't for the Minneapolis community. It's mainly for the suburb folks who want to come in for a day and feel good about supporting LGBTQ rights with all these cops around because they need to feel safe because it's a big bad city. And really, that's not what anyone who lives And that's in. not what Pride's about. It, it's yeah, never, it's not. and 
don't get me wrong. I think that there is some sentiment, especially within the last few years, there have been a lot of instances where, I mean, you have the Pulse nightclub shooting and that's miserable. That's terrible. And I mean, but that you could avoid that by so many other laws that people don't want to talk about and don't care about to address. And I don't know. I'm someone who is a very big consumer within queer, um, queer media and just queer community and culture. And it's, I, I would love to participate in all these things, but I also know that it's not conducive to the people that I'm wanting to support. It is supporting these people who just are here to make money and here to wave a little rainbow flag and then just go home to Chaska, Edina, wherever. To Feel lose. good. Yeah. And I did like, my part. Yeah. But when people, it's... gay people are happy. Everybody's happy. Everything's having a good time. But it's like after Pride is over, you're not showing up in any other capacity either. So. Yeah, so show up for uh, Taking Back Pride. Um, so I assume we'll put the info on all these events in the show notes, right? Yeah, so, we'll put them in for there. For the Father's sure. Day protest, And we'll too. bring them up. We'll probably have uh, Taking Back Prides, uh, a delegate or a person organizer from them to come and join us. I'd love to talk about the intersectionality there. Um, and then one of our own events, another one that's coming up on, I think this will air either Monday or Tuesday, uh, but at what? It's coming up Wednesday. We have mm-hmm. an English class, something we've been doing for now over a year. Huh? Uh, we have one more English class in this set, and then we'll have another set of uh, English classes in the summer. But uh, it's Wednesday. At... Wednesday at the Whittier International Elementary um, from 5 to 7. There are free English classes for anyone who is wanting to learn English. Um there's free childcare. There's free food that's usually um, provided for students and for children as well, um, just to give people the ability to kind of learn English and how to. Um, I hate to like integrate into society, but I mean that is kind of what it is. Uh, yeah, I think last week they did restaurants. Is learning how to order at a restaurant and like how to speak to others at a restaurant and kind of do that. So it's very good work. It's put on by um, teachers that are work within BRAC. So they're giving their extra time already from their very demanding schedules and um, providing those classes to the community, which is really nice. Yeah, it's I've been there. Um, it's exceptional. I've known people who have been students of this who have, it. Uh, it's not like we empowered them, they empowered themselves and they just needed tools to do that. And I've seen people just like, come into those classes and just grow into who they already are which is a powerful being and mold their place in our community and that's really powerful so you know anybody who needs it in this english class that i didn't know i was very ignorant to single class isn't just for like spanish speakers this is for anyone who wants to learn how to speak english it's across the board they could be uh speak a variety of different languages and it'll still work mm-hmm. so look out for information on our Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, on those because uh, we're really trying to bring make a space where people can one advocate for themselves, but also like build new skills. Uh, and yeah, shout out to all the teachers who do that and all the volunteers in Mirac. And uh, yeah, like like Miguel mentioned, the teachers are licensed ESL teachers at, for their job, so it's not mm-hmm. just some random people. It's actual like people who know how to do it. And we use the popular education method, which if people aren't familiar with that, we can maybe talk about that more on another episode about the English classes. But yeah, it's a really good thing. Yeah. And that brings us to, you know, 
what is the episodes that we're going to have coming up? Like, yeah, I'd love to have like all these different facets as intersectionalities and say, oh, um, we can speak about these laws that are mainly affecting maybe Latino immigrants in the southern border. But what does it look like to be a Southeast Asian undocumented immigrant? There's an influx there that's not being talked about. What does it look like to be uh, a Somali immigrant in Minneapolis and have those struggles be presented? And, and these episodes are going to be um, kind of structured around those conversations. And also we're going to have really special episodes where we break down some of our protests when they're, we've worked really long or some of uh, uh we're going to have a delegation episode where we speak about this massive delegations that we did where, um, to the southern border in Tijuana and, and San Diego. So if, if you're interested, keep listening. I really appreciate um, Mirac putting effort into this. It's going to be a really powerful tool and way to stay connected with your community, really. Uh, any closing remarks for you folks? Um, I would say, I know that we kind of talked about why we're doing a podcast. This kind of came to me as we were kind of furthering our discussion. I think um, an important thing to know is that this could be a tool to educate people. And I believe that the way to dismantle the system is to do it from the inside. And that's getting people, you kind of mentioned it earlier, getting people into office that are going to advocate for us and are on our side to do so. And so maybe it is learning like, hey, I sparked an interest and I actually do think that how a bill passes is really cool and I would love to be a part of that at a further capacity and I think it's it's important to know that our the future generation and our futures are kind of in their hands um, and to know that we have to kind of mold them to know what's right and wrong and to educate them on what they're going to face as adults and what the changes that they can make and kind of like you said it's always about empowering others and letting them know like this is how the system works and it's not always going to work for you but you have the ability to change it if you kind of step up to do so brad any other closing remarks no just i'm excited that this is going to be the first episode of many and look forward to what's to come <laughs>